Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast. For your source of discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join our host, I Love Kim Possible a Lot or KP, and Lyle Convoy or Lyle Manbad. This episode contains some mild adult language. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Animation Communication. We're recording a bunch of them at the same time, so I don't know what number it is. It doesn't matter, you know, whatever. um so um i guess we'll probably have a lot of og bronies listening because i'm sure they're going to be like the nostalgia um um, so um if you're new to the podcast welcome in case you don't know i'm i love compossible a lot i go by kp i go by rachel um if people are like i got a lot of professional industry people that's like what do what do i call you compossible lady and i'm just like oh no regret um (laughs) so (laughs) um whatever whatever floats your boat um i just ask don't call me rachel unless you like like don't call me don't like find me at a con and call me rachel like i don't i don't know you person at a con you know anyway um so uh with me i have um ink rose um can i also call you anya doesn't matter yeah yeah okay cool yeah i don't like fake names too so you can also (laughs) call me rachel whatever feels more natural um so um anya one anya (laughs) sorry i I should know this it's anesthesia that's okay (laughs) that's okay (laughs) (laughs) um but anyway, so um, Anya, why don't you talk a little bit? Um, why don't we talk a little bit about some flashback stuff? Because I'm sure that's what this nostalgia miners are mining for. So, like, <laughs> I don't know. You were you were like my very first collab, right? In like ten years ago, something like oh, that. Oh yeah, I think so. I <laughs> I remember when we would like chat over Skype and stuff, and like, oh, let's collab over this. Let's let's do this. This sounds like fun. <laughs> How old were you? You, you were baby. I remember you were the baby. So like, you must have been like sixteen, right? <laughs> I I started at at sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's what I figured. So I was like, I was like nineteen, twenty. So I was still kind of baby. But yeah, we were all <laughs> we were all babies. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> um, for those who don't know, uh, uh. Anya was in the My Little Pony fandom with me back in the day. So, um, any like you want to talk a little bit about that? How um, how that started and how you kind of gained your audience that way, and we can go from there. Oh yeah. Um, so the way it kind of started was um, I was just kind of getting into the show at around that point, and like the reason why I liked it was because I really liked the art style, uh, the animation of it. I was someone who used to play with like g3 ponies when i was a kid um and so um when i saw the g4 designs i was immediately hooked i was like wow these look really sleek and interesting and have like really nice shape design and when i found out it was lauren faust who did like uh these other shows and worked on powerpuff girls and stuff i was like oh that makes sense her art style is really cool uh so from there i just got into the show i would watch uh youtube videos about it and um i saw this video uh by brony curious who was also like big in the fandom at the time oh, and the, the flashbacks uh-huh. yeah tommy's been on the it's been a hot minute but he he was on the podcast maybe like a year or two ago talking about something similar we're going to talk about because he also branched into uh 3d animation after his his, his thing so yeah yeah he- the and he's Pony- been doing some really cool stuff with that, with his Azumi character. Right, yeah. The Pony people either, um, from what I've gathered, have kind of either died off or they, they're kind of doing what we're doing where they're branching 
expanding their brand or they just stop making content altogether. So it's an interesting, I feel like, you know, I'm like an old old lady who's just like back in the pony day. You know, <laughs> you know we had G4 and we liked it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it was simple, but it was great. <laughs> and um, with the, I, I had seen his video on um, the origins of Celestia and Luna and the history of Equestria, and I had my own ideas on, on theories on, on what I uh, thought would be really cool, so I kind of can did you, a response. Um, sorry to interrupt, but like, oh, yeah. uh, we have to translate for the normies, so can you like go into detail, like what is an Equestria oh, and what is a sure, Luna? Oh, sure, sure. Um, so basically, Vroni Curious, he had made this video about the kind of history of the pony world and like potentially the the origins of the queens uh of the land the princesses um and i had kind of my own ideas of like where it might have come from because uh i sort of had my own thoughts on what i thought would be the coolest uh origin for them uh in my 16 year old brain of course <laughs> and I mean, so i mean all, like, yeah yeah the, the start of all creativity, let's be honest. <laughs> uh-huh, of course. <laughs> and so I made kind of my own ideas of like, oh, but what if, what if it was this? And, and like, what if this happened? And I basically just wrote like a fan fiction <laughs> of, of how I thought it'd be like cool if, if the, what the origin of Celestia and Luna were. And it was, it was like complete fan fiction, like not really based too much on, on what was really in the show, just what I thought would be cool. And um, that video ended up getting, like, really popular, and it's still, like, the, the highest viewed video on my channel. I think it has 9 million views now. Um, and I think, too, like, it was also about your presentation. Like, instead of you were just like, this is my headcanon, you kind of told it, like, as a story, like a narrative story. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that was a big appeal, too, of it. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of why it ended up uh, resonating, uh, I think, especially with a lot of a lot of uh, younger people that were around my age or younger. I, I've had a lot of people like come back to me years later and say stuff like, "Oh, I used to watch your channel when I was a kid, and I thought that your head cannons were like the real stuff." And I was like, "Oh, oh no, you're corrupting the children." Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like oh that's really that's so sweet like <laughs> that they they liked them that much that that it became like part of their their childhood like experience of, of the the show uh so it's really fun to look back on those stories that in hindsight might seem silly but honestly like a lot of it was me practicing my own creative writing abilities mm-hmm. and like by by being able to use the the show's characters uh and making these like stories with them uh and like theory crafting and world building on my own uh and it it ended up helping equip me with the tools that i needed to make my own worlds and my own backstories and store uh characters and all of that stuff and i'm still kind of like using those skills today when i'm writing and and Mm -hmm. making new things and especially too like i think a lot of uh a lot of children who kind of want to want to do still things that are similar to what we're doing like over focus on I mean the art's important like becoming a good draftsman is important but there's also like story structure and narrative flow Mm -hmm. and like all all those like tropes that I think are also important like I don't think people really think of like what makes a good story I think sometimes they're just like well I can what if I draw this really well I'm just like yeah but that's only like part of the picture you know like if you want to be yeah yep like, if you want to be a good story writer, like, on all accounts, then you kind of need a little bit of A, a little bit of B to kind of, like, make sure you're well-rounded, so. 
Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to being an indie creator, uh, indie creators have to do a lot of different things sometimes um, because they don't have a team. Indie creator is just just in oh. case. So it to me, an indie creator is someone who is kind of doing some of these uh, creative endeavors on their own. Uh, they don't have a large corporation or company backing them. It's usually them and either just themselves or themselves and a small team uh, working with them. Yeah, so that's um, can and can you like go a little bit into what Kickstarter is and stuff like for oh like, sure how people how funding works for that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So. A lot of indie games, uh, not all, but many, will will choose to use crowdfunding as a source of, um, and not just games, uh, also like board games will do this, uh, comic book artists will do this, uh, using crowdfunding in order to fund their uh, creative endeavors. Their uh, crowd, so Kickstarter, uh, Indiegogo, and Fig, those are all sites that use crowdfunding to help fund these uh, creations. A lot of times what Kickstarters will do, I'm just kind of using Kickstarter as a catch-all term for Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple yeah. of others um, for those um, making notes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they will tend to be timed, and usually around 30, 30 days is the ideal. Um, and they will ask people to uh, donate money in order to help fund it, because a lot of indie people don't have a lot of money to fall back on to pay their employers or their employees or their uh, friends that are helping work on their projects. And so they need external help uh, to do so. And getting funding from a, a large company uh, is really hard. <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah, I was going to like, we can talk about that because I know you have yep. experience with that. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh it's yeah, really a single tear strips down face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 hard getting a publisher. It's hard um, uh, securing uh, funding uh, in major dollars for one. Usually because you're not established enough for companies to want to take a risk on you, mm -hmm. and two because this stuff is expensive. <laughs> And For so, sure. like I said, yeah, it's a risk. So one, if you have this, the average Joe, you know, become the person that helps to fund you, there's someone that who may already be a fan of yours, mm -hmm. potentially, who wants to invest in you and see you grow as a creator. And that can be extremely uh, gratifying as a creator when you see that there's there's these these fans these people that want to support you monetarily because that's kind of an ultimate form of of support for it is to actually give over the hard-earned money that they have to uh, help you grow so it's incredibly like uh amazing and sweet uh, whenever people decide to support you in that way uh which is why kickstarter can be a really, really cool and really awesome place, but also <laughs> very disappointing place when those creators don't use that money properly, or or they maybe have issues with uh, organization or um, that I kind just, of thing. Can I just be blunt and say what say what you I think you might be saying? Um, it's going to be a little crude, but I think I know what you're what you're getting at. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They they stick their dick in places they're not supposed to. Essentially. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Like they they don't have any experience in something, and 
it can end up being a scam sometimes, like straight up a scam where they, they literally just take the money and run, which is why crowdfunding can be so risky. But also because it's so risky, you can end up getting extremely good things out of it when you invest in the right people. And sometimes it's hard to know exactly to invest in the right people. Uh, I would say some really good examples of, of crowdfunding ended up being um, A Hat in Time, which is a cute 3D platformer made by the company Gears for Breakfast. Uh, it started with one guy and, and they ended up having a crowdfunding that worked out super well and made it a really fun, cute game. Um, another game that seems to have worked out quite well is Coral Island, which is a farming simulator, uh, Stardew Valley type of game. I don't know if it's out yet. I think the betas or alphas are, but um, I've that was an incredibly successful Kickstarter. Can, uh, can you one, define what a beta and alpha is? Because I, I don't oh, even yes. know what that is. <laughs> Got you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, an alpha and beta of a game are basically two ways of describing where in development a game is. Um, alphas are usually vi- like early builds, um, like stuff that is very unfinished. Like you'll see maybe some grass patches here, but then a an untextured cube over there to represent an asset that has not been made yet. An asset being, you know, like an object in the game that hasn't been made. Um, and then a beta is something that is getting close to done and is ready for uh, more serious testing from uh, the beta testers or um, sometimes crowdfunders, fund, funded games will, will choose to let their fans uh, help test the game and, and uh, get beta builds of the game uh, in order to get their feedback as they're working on it. So beta builds will be... Um, much closer to being finished. Mm-hmm. In fact, they may, depending on the company, they may already be finished, but just need tweaks here and there mm-hmm. uh, before release. Um, and so releasing alphas and betas to supporters is a great way to show uh, how much progress you've made and have them physically be able to actually play uh, what you've been working on. And that's a great way to show trust uh, to to build trust in your company um, and get people more excited for for what's to come. Oh yeah, I mean like and two um, like it sounds like a lot of just essentially fancy words for focus group testing, right? You know, like <laughs> in a sense, yeah. But uh, it's very what's cool about that is it's very personalized because every every player is going to have a different experience in the game, and especially when you're able to record that experience, you can gain a lot of insight. Uh, and for me personally, uh, with my game, uh, the fantastic Kitty Roo, um, we were able to get some extremely good uh, feedback um, for for when people would play it on Twitch and stuff, so they could record their reactions. Wow! So yeah. Gotta, mm-hmm. get, gotta get that hustle, girl. <laughs> yeah, it was great because I, I basically was used these sites uh, like um, uh, which is a key mailing site. And key mailing sites, um, they are... Uh, how do I describe this? Uh, like, to get a key, a digital copy of the game on a platform like Steam or Epic Games, uh, you can generate keys, which are, like, numbers of... Uh, lines of random numbers uh, that you can activate. They're like little codes that add the game to your library. And 
you can use these key mailing sites to give free copies of your game to content creators and streamers who mm. will uh, get your game for free in exchange for them playing it on their stream and helping to promote it in that way. So it's like a, a win-win situation where they get free stuff and you get them to play your game on stream and get more eyes on it. Yeah, that's actually um, how we got, we had another guest who, the reason this is not the indie pod, the indie game podcast, it's it's more going to be three about 3D animation and some more details about that than we did with Tommy, is we ha- already had, um, basically what you described, where I had an indie company reach out and say, hey, I saw, like, I love the Edith Finch game, which is another in kind of indie, kind of like, it's a decently big studio from what I know, but it's, um, mm-hmm. it's a giant sparrow, I don't know if you played Edith Finch, it's but yeah, if you uh, Edith Finch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I have, I have. I really like that game. Actually, oh, yeah, it's, it's very good. Like, I'm not even like I'm not even a game person, but I did a whole I did a video about it. And mm-hmm. um, this other company, um, based in France, saw my Edith Finch game, and they're just like, "Hey, we're doing an indie game. Um, do you want a free Steam Steam code?" And I'm like, "Yeah, uh-huh. I like free mm-hmm. things." <laughs> so I played it and I loved it because um, you should you should play it. I can uh, probably hook you up if you want, but it's called uh, mm-hmm. The Wreck, um, and um, it's basically similar to Edith Finch, where it has really, 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 really great narrative dialogue and really deep character. Like they thought through this shit. Like I could tell mm-hmm. you before they they I, I had them. It was just like you guys thought like every angle of these characters and like there's also a it's a kind of a you don't your 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 um your um experience with the game um it doesn't really influence the plot per se similar to Edith Finch but basically uh-huh. if you click on information you get more context to the plot it just uh. depends on how fast you want to finish the game or if you want if you want those di- if you want those um that lore that 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 sweet, uh-huh. sweet lore essentially so uh-huh. I mean of course knowing me I wanted all the lore and like I think it was a 6 or 7 hour playthrough but if you were doing a speed run you could probably get it done in like one or two. I'm just going to kind of pull up a trailer for you later for later. Oh sweet. But yeah yeah um but um basically at the ending without giving it too much away they um it's you get to choose the 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 end of the story um based on what you learn about the characters and the plot. Um, again, uh-huh. I'm trying to be clever not to give it away, but it's a it's a pretty big, pretty big decision. And there's uh-huh. there's like you get a lot of context about like you know both sides of the argument essentially. There's there's three choices, and you get a lot of context, and like you could justify either of these three decisions pretty well based on the context you get. Um, uh-huh. But you know it's it was it was cool. So I played it. I was just like, hey guys, you want to be on the podcast? I love this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it'd be right up your alley personally. And there's also, um, this is not too big of a spoiler, but there's also a How to Train Your Dragon reference in there, which I wasn't oh, expecting at yeah. all. So, but his <laughs> name is Harold, not um, not Hiccup, just because of a translating error. So, you know, as long as you know that going in. Um, <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, lol, um, I don't even know what we're talking about. Yeah, so indie games are cool and, like, you know, it's, like, they have to be kind of clever with their marketing. But essentially, you know, it all comes down to being a content creator that people feel like they can trust you with, especially with monetary things and invest. Because I've, you know, we both have creative people in our circle. And we both have, like, I've heard stories of people who know people who, like, I'm going to start a Kickstarter. And then, like, you know, they, they don't have their shit together. And they're like, yep, yep, I'm going to steal $50,000. And then they're, you know, their creative reputation is... Uh, 
<clears throat> Bush Hartman, but their creative reputation uh, yep. ruined uh, because they basically had this great, like all, all, all ambition, no execution, you know. So. Uh huh. Oh, exactly. And I will say, I, I was a bit victim to that myself in terms of I, I had a Kickstarter um, a while ago for I wanted to make an animated pilot for my Spectral Lakes uh, IP. Mm-hmm. And I was not someone who was the expert in animation. What I thought I would be doing was directing, writing, doing the storyboards, and doing some animating, uh, character designs, etc. But in hindsight, nah, I should have done more animation experience before I tried to do a Kickstarter what of you, making an animated pilot. Were you trying? Were you trying to animate in Flash? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I had wanted to do a Kickstarter to try to fund uh, being able to pay like other people to animate it. And yeah, you gotta get. I mean, I've learned that too. Sometimes you just gotta get your hands dirty. Like, and at least like, exactly. if you don't know the technicality, then you sit and you like work through it, and you say, "Well, I'll, I'll," you know. So at least the mm-hmm. other party knows that you're investing the same exact time as they are, and they exactly like, you're 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 down in the trenches with them. You're not just like, oh, you do it. I'm gonna go take a nap. You know. Uh huh. <laughs> like I knew I was gonna help work on it, but I thought that me being in the role of of you know storyboard artist, director, money, character money designer, writer, all of that, <laughs> I thought that would be enough. But honestly, in hindsight, it was just kind of ignorant, and like I should have uh, just. <laughs> tried more of, of like doing the animation myself and uh I had done like a sample animation piece but it was very uh it wasn't that great you know I, I needed to practice more on it before trying to have a whole kickstarter like why would people give me money when I couldn't really uh show much of anything that was of quality um I was so desperate to try to get it done as a show that uh that's I what I'd uh ended up doing was trying to do the kickstarter but like it that just and it didn't end up working and rightly so i don't think it made sense (laughs) to really invest in it (laughs) yeah i think too like i mean why don't you well that that might be a good segue to pitching because like i know you're i mean i don't know how much you want to give away but i know your family has some kind of professional background so they have a little bit more experience than than just the layman as far as dealing with studios so if you want to we'll talk about a little bit of, if you want to talk oh, I'm talking fast. If you want to talk a little bit about that or whatever you feel comfortable like disclosing and then kind of like, you know, just your general pitch process as far as um, you know, how that political atmosphere works because I'm I'm curious myself. Oh, well, in terms of of the experience that my parents have, uh we used to live in like the LA area, but things were not like my my dad like worked in voice acting basically like he would he's done like a couple voices on various shows like uh he did like a few voices on Pinky and the Brain and um a few other shows as well it's all on like his IMDb and stuff if memory um, serves he was also Jiminy Cricket in Kingdom Hearts right yep oh, uh-huh. there you go specifically specifically in um Kingdom Hearts Recoded I believe, okay. and I think like three hundred sixty-five and a half days, <laughs> like a bunch of days. Basically, two DS games. He was he was Jiminy Cricket in two DS games, and then he did a few other like little uh, stuff with Jiminy Cricket here and there. Uh, but because you know Jiminy isn't like a very like a, a well-used character um, in the modern uh, 
landscape of Disney, uh, there weren't like that many jobs at that point. And at some point, my dad unfortunately had to quit voice acting because it legitimately was not like it was not getting him any much of a paycheck that could help us like survive in California because yeah, <laughs> it's really yeah, expensive there. Yeah, um, and he ended up uh, getting a job at uh, Uni- University of Houston. Um, and in digital media, and so that's when we had to move to Houston because California was so expensive. We just we could not afford to live there anymore. Um, so I have a I don't know how much you know about this, but as a follow up question, like, do you know? Did he ever talk about like the casting process for like Jiminy Cricket and how he got that role, or was it a connections thing, or was it an agent thing, or? <sighs> It might have been an agent thing, uh, or just—I mean, just the fact that we were in LA was made it much easier for him to be on location. Mm-hmm. And Disney likes it when you're on location. Yep. yep. Yeah. And so uh, that's—it uh, it was such a long time ago that. Oh yeah, maybe, um, maybe we should I'd have, have to ask him about podcast. it. That might be a podcast. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> but in the end, uh, that's kind of all. My my parents were more like indie kind of creators in mm-hmm. in in their own way. Um, they never really got the chance to like uh, like pitch shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd have to ask them more about that because a lot of that stuff happened when I was very young. Um, but by the time um, I wanted to kind of pitch my own show, uh, my options are were very limited because I did not have any kind of agent to help me. Um, like get into these companies and like be able to pitch to them uh the can only you, two companies uh, sorry to interrupt oh, i'm gonna keep, keep on asking you to, to to translate so can you kind of just talk about like what an agent is and kind of the advantage oh, yeah. of that yeah uh-huh so an agent is basically someone who uh represents you to a company um they will they're the one that has a lot of the connections to specific companies and they kind of uh pitch you as a person Mm -hmm. to different places and be like okay i think you should check this person out in my experience this person is someone you'll probably want to hear from i they think they're like the middleman basically to to be someone that the companies can trust and that hopefully you can trust right and Um, there's also like a layer of protection there because there's like you know there's a buffer so there can't there's less um you know, because, like, I mean, I'm sure you've been burned by it, too, but I've been burned, like, a lot. I don't know if you know a lot about it. But, like, um, you know, when they're, especially when you're talking to people via the Internet and via Skype and stuff like that, there can be, you know, mm-hmm. people might get the wrong read on you and then they might sit on it and, like, all these nerd mm-hmm. agents together just, like, basically mm-hmm. bubble into. So, anyway, agents help with that. And they also, yes, from my understanding, from an outsider's perspective, like, the bigger, the more reputable the agent um agency is like if you get in quote unquote then like having their say like hey you know this person is um reputable because we've seen them we've seen them talent they are professional show up you know that goes a long way and that's how kind of the the game works in 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 hollywood from my understanding so Mm -hmm. exactly and and so they're the ones that help you get your foot in the door but then you also have to be able to get your foot in the door by getting picked up by an agent. Mm-hmm. So there's a process there. Um, it, uh-huh. I had actually, I had tried to uh, get picked up by a literary agent uh, two different times when I was, uh, compl- when I completed my first book, uh, Dragon Queen, Scarlet Rain. Uh, I had done what is called a, uh, what's it? 
it's it's kind of like a pitch letter basically there's a more specific word for it but when you do a a an agent pitch letter for a literary agent you have to try to describe who you are as well as the synopsis of your book in and in, in like a really uh, an interesting way that'll that'll catch their eyes because they get hundreds and hundreds of emails asking to be represented uh, by writers, um, and so you have to make it like really stand out and, and pop. And there's a lot of really good videos uh, on that subject on YouTube as well. Um, so you like write out uh, what your book is about, who you are, and then they t- generally ask you to give like a PDF or Word document of like the first few chapters of your manuscript. Um, and then from there, uh, they will read it over and either get back to you or don't get back to you. It's mm. more likely they will not get back to you because <laughs> mm. <laughs> they get a lot of emails. So what I had done was I sent out like a, hundreds of emails to different literary agents. I would specifically use literary agent websites and I would look up like what books that they're looking for. A lot of literary agents, um, are specific uh, about which genres they represent. Like, um, one writer, one agent might be really into fantasy, sci-fi, westerns, for example, and they might only want to, to see manuscripts in those genres. Or you might get an, a, uh, like a, a Christian fiction-only type agent or perhaps a, a romance-only type agent. So you have to make sure that what you're pitching to them is something that they'll be interested in. And I had done this for for both Dragon Queen and Spectra Lakes, and unfortunately, both of them, <laughs> despite all the emails I sent out, no no dice on on getting an agent. So from there, I had to self publish them, um, and that's a similar case when it comes to video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to video games, uh, you don't need an agent, but you do tend to need a publisher and. Uh, even indies uh, do would do well to get a publisher if they can. I haven't reached out to that many publishers when it came to Mariposa, uh, but that's because Mariposa, which is my platforming game project I'd, I had done a Kickstarter for, um, that one would have taken a lot of money <laughs> to, to fund. So it wasn't very... Uh, it wasn't very, what's the word, uh, enticing to um, publishers mm-hmm. because it, it was a big project and I'm relatively unproven as I didn't have a published game out yet. And so, I mean, by all accounts, even though I feel like my presentation was very uh, professional and we had a whole two-hour demo um with like gameplay and story and full voice acting and all of that stuff um to a publisher it's still very risky um and so for mariposa when the kickstarter didn't work out and when um publishing didn't seem to work out and as well as the at&t contest uh we weren't able to um get uh the prize on that one at that point, there wasn't much left for us to do except start try something else. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I went and I, my, my team and I started working on uh, the fantastic Kitty Roo, which was a much smaller game, but that was set in the same like universe as Mariposa. So we could start to kind of build this, this universe, this, this story world that has like these different planets and characters. And so 
um, the Fantastic Kitty Roo ended up being like a short kind of two hour visual novel game slash rhythm game mm-hmm. um, that was meant to tell the backstory of one of the characters that would appear in Mariposa. Mm-hmm. So we thought having this game out would be a good way to show people that we can make a finished product um, and that we are more, um, that we are someone that can be invested in because we finished it, mm-hmm. you know. And so same in a similar vein of finding an agent, if you are in the writing literary space, finding a publisher is a similar thing of, of creating a pitch document, sending out emails, trying to find someone that would like to take a chance on you. Um, and, but what's different from finding a literary agent is that, um, generally publishers seem to like having like a a whole pitch document, which is kind of similar to what you do with pitching a TV show, Mm -hmm. which I've also had experience with when it comes to Spectre Lakes, because since I didn't have a literary agent, there were only two places I could find that I could pitch Spectre Lakes to. Spectre Lakes is my, like, uh, IP that is basically a supernatural ghost mystery story, a la, like, uh, sort of like a more adult Gravity Falls type of thing. Mm -hmm. And what I had done was I made a pitch document, and in that document you make uh, basically a bunch of character sheets uh, talking about your characters, what their arcs are, what will happen to them. Uh, You have sample episode pitches where where you have um like uh like a hypnosis of different episodes and what's going to happen in each of them and how the story progresses from there um you have like maybe animatics you show uh the themes of your story what everything's about and you try to kind of put it in this kind of pdf booklet that um has like this nice aesthetic that that uh, reflects your show and and just overall just have a nice looking document and so i was able to pitch on um adult swims um like little pitch rapid pitch session they they would basically do these live streams where they would have a couple uh adult swim uh employees there that would uh you would submit your document to them and then get on a call with them and you would present your tv show idea and they would uh see if they liked it or not how would you, um, um, how would, how do you, how do people in general, I don't know if it's still a thing, but like, how would you sign up for that if it was still a thing? I don't know if it's still a thing or not, but I remember the way I signed up for it was, I believe they had like a submission uh, document on their website oh, okay. for it. Yeah. That, which is why I was able to actually do it because I didn't have the agent. They had, they have this, this opportunity to uh, like, uh, live stream pitch to them I remember it was it was really cool seeing the comments of people being like oh this seems interesting and like that their chat and like oh this seems pretty cool oh I want to no, see this I mean, as a show I mean I guess it says more <laughs> about like either the openness of adult swim or the desperation of like we need good ideas and no one has any good ideas <laughs> just open it to the, to the crowd you know in hindsight I I, I mean it, I wasn't I'm not a very experienced person and I I didn't even have, I hadn't been hired in the animation industry at all. All I had was a pitch and a dream. So I can see why I wasn't picked up. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, speaking of a pitch and a dream, um, I'm linking you for later. Um, here's a trailer for the game I was talking about. We didn't talk about Oh, sweet. Yeah. But yeah, it's on Steam. Thanks I so much. It's only like 10 bucks. So I think you'd enjoy it. So. Awesome. I'll check it out. Yeah. 
Because I really enjoyed Edith Finch. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not as morbid, per se, as Edith, Edith Finch. She doesn't have those same types of more, like, a little bit, but not as, like, it's not like a kind of ghost story over, over like, overcast, like, even though Edith Finch isn't a ghost story, per se. Mm-hmm. It's more about, um, you know, someone who has a, has a, um, a, a complicated relationship with their mother and kind of just what to do about that, um, you know, going forward through the plot. So, and then you get backstory and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That sounds very cool. Oh, and let me tell you, like, the the transition, like, there's the flashback transitions. I was, like, screaming because they were just, they were, like, like, tracking shots, but, like, from different points of view. So you were, like, jumping around, like, it was was really cool. Anyway, you're, like... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) So uh, let's talk talk more about um the, uh your 3d art so um because you i'm you've graduated school by now right like oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's you know um i i just turned 30 this year and it's not it's not fun i mean it is fun but like at the same oh, time yeah. like oh man i'm not i'm not mm-hmm. 21 anymore man <laughs> it's hard dude yeah i i actually i just turned 25 on monday Woo. <laughs> whoa that was my most Salad. popular tweet um, when I turned twenty five. My my um my my friend um my friend and my parents got me like all like Rainbow Dash or Pony themes, and um it was a tweet that I did did make up the dialogue for fun, but I felt like it was worth it. Where like there, like in my room like in the kitchen, there's just like the like that big Rainbow Dash like you know balloon that's like shaped like her, as well as a couple other ones. Uh-huh. And then I wrote um um I was like. The cashier at the store was like, hey, so how old is your daughter turning? And then my parents are like, 25. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I felt like that was too, I mean, I did make, you know, I did write that, but I felt like it was too good of a joke not to, not to share. But I think that was my book, uh-huh. my, my most popular tweet ever. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so, um, I mean, obviously you don't have to share where you went to school unless you're comfortable, but I guess, um. I, I don't really, I'm not really a 3D animator per se. I don't really have any, I just, I, I feel like I've learned too much. I don't want to add Maya to my, Maya scares me. But um, what, like, if you want to talk about like what Maya is and your experience with like learning it via school or on your own and kind of the advantage, the pros and cons of 3D animation in general. And if you want to go into that. Oh, yes. So in terms of 3D, um, I learned it while I was in co- college. That's kind of one of the reasons I really wanted to go to a school that had a game art program mm-hmm. uh, because it was something that I felt was too overwhelming to learn on my own uh, from same, home same, without. Because yeah. mm-hmm. it's like a, a whole new world and a whole new way of thinking when, when you're learning 3D art. And I was someone who only knew how to do 2D stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so the way we started was by using uh, 3ds Max, which is an Autodesk program. Uh, Autodesk also owns Maya, uh, so we started by using 3ds Max, and they would show us how to use like primitives, which are basically like the 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 shapes that you have like at the start of the program, like a basic sphere, a basic cube, uh, etc. How to turn those primitives into full-on shapes and 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 models and using extrude which is like uh, extracting a a piece of a model outward like you're pulling it out uh and i ended up finding that 
while it was very overwhelming at first, uh, it ended up all clicking together and making sense the more I studied it. Mm-hmm. And um, so while we started learning in 3ds Max uh, modeling, one of my other teachers preferred to use Maya, uh, and he was our rigging and animation teacher. And so <laughs> we learned modeling in 3ds Max, and then we learned animation in, in Maya. Um, so these were the tools I was comfortable with. Sounds but like, as soon as like, I graduated... I, uh-huh. I, I don't mean to interject, but I have the, my joke being, it's like, sounds like 3D animation, but with extra steps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and from what I understand, uh, Maya is the standard in uh, most animation companies like Disney, Pixar, and um, like Across the Spider-Verse was animated mostly in Maya, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, um, from what I gather, it's it's Maya, and then sometimes they develop um, programs in in studio for specific things like hair, and you know, I think that's what oh they, yeah, I think that's what happened with Moana is they they couldn't get the hair like falling correctly, so they just sort of were like, well, we'll just develop our own like rigging tool thing for that. And I'm like, okay, good for you, Disney. I'm glad you have the money to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because, because um, speaking of which, like when you're an indie, uh, there's so much problem solving you have to do on your own. It's scary. It's very scary. And there's sometimes problems that it feels like you cannot get over. And that's when you have to get help. I've actually, I recommend highly that uh, anybody who's interested in, in making indie games or, or doing technical stuff that they join discord groups that are specialized in this stuff because they usually have these like help chat Mm -hmm. lines that can um uh i mean depending on if someone has an answer for you they will usually help you and uh it's helped me in the past solve major issues that i thought were impossible uh but then some guy comes along and he's like hey try this and i'm like Mm -hmm. whoa that fixed it wow yeah and that i mean from my end that seems to be a big advantage of the team and like a lot of people from the outside look in just seem like oh she just does it because she doesn't want to do things and i'm just like no i do it most like a because my mental health is horrible and like i just need help but also like just with keeping things going and but the other part being um you know, the collaboration, I think it makes the content better, as well as if we run into problems, you're not just like, you know, a sitting duck, you have other people that can mm-hmm. kind of walk you through it. So, you know, so everyone kind of learns that way. And it's, it's knowledge they couldn't get on their own. So I think I agree with yep. you, you know, exactly. Um, and I, I know I will say too, like, we have run into some criticism on on some of the games I've, I've worked on, like Mariposa and Fantastic Kitty Roo. We've gotten comments that are along the lines of like, some of these animations are uncanny, or like the characters look a bit strange because of the animations, uh, that kind of thing. And it's completely understandable because I'm the only person working on it who, who's animating. Oh, <laughs> and because so of that, child. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I saw, like, I, I went through your art on, um, on, on Twitter, and it's, it's great. But, like, you know, you're also only one person, so sometimes you just need that, that feedback, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's good feedback to have. But it's also, uh, in the back of my mind, I'm like, they're right, but also... I don't have the time to, to fix this sometimes. Sometimes I, I have to just get it out there. And I don't have enough experience to make it like super pretty professional looking because I am still learning on this mm-hmm. stuff. And the, the really tough part and the difference between animation for games and animation for TV shows or movies 
is that <laughs> one of them is locked and done when it's done. As in, when, once it's rendered and out, you are only seeing it from one direction, one camera angle, and it's you can use post processing stuff to like paint like for like across the Spider Verse they could like they like paint it over certain stuff, uh, like to add lines to it and all that that jazz. Um, so they have the opportunity to look at it as a two D image when they're finishing it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're doing game animation, you have to have animations that look good from conceivably every angle you can think of. And not only that, but they have to be able to blend into other animations on the fly and hopefully look good. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and then you have like animations that will layer on top of other animations. For example, you have a running animation and then you have to, and then maybe the character will, will shoot a, a gun in one hand but still keep running as they're doing it. You have to have a where the animation layers over the running animation and overwrites the joints or the the bones on the arm of the character and has it so that that animation of the shooting the gun is overlaid on top of the animation of running. And so there's a lot of like technical stuff you have to overcome because you're animating for a ton of different eventualities and a ton of different situations, which is why it's so tough as compared to animating a character from one angle for one shot Mm -hmm. for a TV shot. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. I mean, uh, and that's the thing too, like sometimes people, like people who want to be in animation or people who are like, let's make this cartoon and like, they don't really understand the genius of like basically being able to control everything in the space with animation. And, um, you know, they oversimplify it because they associate it with, with Disney nostalgia. And I'm just like, no, don't do that. So, like, having... Oh, yeah. I think there definitely needs to be a bigger space for animators who are also storytellers. So they, like, know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> like, Spider-Verse uh-huh. is, is a very happy accident of, like, from the, the from what I know, uh, the Chris Lords. Um, they're not animators themselves, but they respect the art so much that they're willing to learn and listen to other animators and what they have to say. And we we need we need more of that. We don't need any more live action Lion Kings. It hurt it hurt yep. it hurts my soul. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <laughs> um but Oh yeah. Uh, that you also have to worry about importing your skeleton and animations into a game engine. Because uh, when you're, again, working in, in uh, movies or TV, you don't have to ever worry about importing it to another program. I mean, at least ideally. Mm-hmm. I, I believe there might be situations where you'd have to do that. But with with gaming, you have to be importing whatever you're making into the game engine. And there can be tons of issues and problems that come with that. Uh, specifically on Mariposa, uh, uh, my programmer Caius and I ran into huge issues when it came to the animations and skeletons working properly, and we had to find these tools that were made by by like different people online and and put those tools to use. And there's specifically there's this miracle worker on YouTube who uh, provides uh, great tutorials on on using Blender specifically um, and rigging. Um, I believe his name is CG Dive, like diving into the water, CG Dive. Mm. Um, he's a great, great uh, 
asset for anybody who wants to learn to uh, rig in Blender and take those rigs and animations into Unreal Engine and, and Unity. Um, in fact, speaking of Blender... <laughs> the, yeah, I was going to be because like, I, I was wondering if you had more insider knowledge because um, for those who don't know, Blender is an open source program and Maya is not. So there's always kind mm-hmm. of the, the, like, I'm just waiting for the day that some studio is just like, fuck it. I know it's going to cost cost more in the short term, but it's going to save us so much money in the long term if we just make everyone switch to Maya to, Maya to Blender. And then Maya's like, yep. oh, no, the money. And I'm like, oh, no, that's what you get for being an asshole. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty much exactly what happened to me as soon as I graduated. Because uh, once I no longer uh, technically like you still have the student license, but the thing is, legally, whatever you make in Maya or 3D Coat when you have a student license, does not you're not able to use it in commercial works. Mm-hmm. So I immediately was like, uh-oh, <laughs> if I'm making a video game, <laughs> if I'm going to make a video game, I can't use these programs for it. So I switched to Blender, and it was so painful. <laughs> As someone who is still relatively new to 3D, I'd only known, known like been learning it at like two years at that point i was like oh my gosh i have to learn another completely new program from scratch and yes i did have to oh, because well, blender is free well, good for you <laughs> clap clap you were you were committed to your art clap, clap. oh yeah oh yeah it was hard I, I was like doing those blender tutorials trying to figure out all these strange new hotkeys and everything and having to relearn a whole bunch of stuff no i've i, I um, get it i like i'm trying to learn i'm still trying to get good with Tomb Boom and it's it's hard and that's like still relatively oh, yeah. in my comfort zone so like mm-hmm. you know I'm just like can I just do frame by frame I, I, uh-huh. it's just, it's just easier <laughs> I don't have to think about it I can just draw yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. oh and because but but the cool thing with Blender is not only that it's free but all of the add-ons you can get for it are insane. They're so cool. Mm-hmm. And Blender is getting better and better with every update. And and now there's they basically have a 2D animation software Slam them in, in the dead ground Blender. Kill my Do yes, it. Play queen. <laughs> yes, it, it's so great that the the free option is such a powerhouse. It's it's really great. I love Blender. <laughs> I mean, and that's kind of the, I love like it. the general like that's that's one of the reasons Disney has been a staple as as much as they had especially because like um i I think i mentioned this in the last podcast but like it's technically more relevant here um so i've been watching the imagineering documentary i I watched it once Mm. so i'm rewatching it and they talk about like animal kingdom and they have um Mm -hmm. jane goodall as like a like a like a create i don't know creative consultant whatever you want to call it and they're like really i watched that it was so good yeah and then you like and there's a lot of like they're they're trying to do it with integrity. They're trying to do it with the animals need to be like the animals are the most important thing. And then you know if we build a park around it, cool. But like they're the priority, you know. And we'll never put mm-hmm. the health of the animals in risk for you know you know dancing you know for amusement you know to to make them mad. Mm-hmm. And then um, we just came back from a Disney trip, and my mom's like, we should go to Sea World. And I'm like, no. And um, she's she was still like, why did we go to Sea World? And I'm like. Well, let me show you a little film that I hadn't seen the, all of it, but just bits of it. But I showed her Blackfish. And for those mm-hmm. who've never seen, have you seen Blackfish? I have, yes. For those who don't see, seen Blackfish, like, so take exactly what I just said about Animal Kingdom and do everything that is not that and tor- basically torture the animals for the amusement of, 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 of the monies and, 
you know, other other things. Like they talk like not to be too crude, but they do talk about how they have to um extract semen from the, the, the killer whale so they can breed it with the other killer whales to get more killer whales to make more money. So um you know don't 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 do that. So that's kind of, like SeaWorld took a big hit from that. Like like, you know, but they they deserved it. Fuck them. Like, it's not something that, sh- they, that should have happened at all in the first place. And, like, the fact that they're even still alive as a corporation after that is, like, amazing. But I imagine they had to do, like, so much. Because they were very abnit, ab, abdomen, debit, whatever. But they were very hesitant to admit there were any problems, you know, even internally from what, you know, the, the movie took. It's free on YouTube if you want to go see Blackfish and Cry for, like, ten minutes. But, um... It's a good education, kind of like, oh, no, um, kind of thing. Oh, no, um, humans are barbarians after all. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, like, so I'm even, like, you know, even, even like, the even though SeaWorld still exists, even though they don't have their, um, their orca show, more, like, they still have the dolphins, and they still have the manta rays, and they still have, like, just general fish queens, it's hard to support an organization that was just basically doing the wrong thing for so long. And then eventually the only reason they changed is because they got called out on it. And even that change was just like, well, sales are down. I guess, you know, it's the weather. And I'm just like, no, it's not the weather. Like, are you like, are you that like up your asses as far as your morality? Like, ah, it hurt. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts me. Anyway, so I didn't mean to make this about sales. But no, that's okay. yeah, that's yeah. Okay. So um, you know, but I guess back to Maya. Like, if you kind of lead with just like, hey, you know, we just want to be helping the artists, and like, it's not about like it, it, Adobe's like this too, where it's just like, oh, uh huh, it's yep. just too embedded in the in the studio, and YouTube in general is like this too. Like, it's too, just too embedded in the culture, um, and the studio um, mindset. Like YouTube, like you can't. There's no competitive competition for YouTube. Like. You know, there's a daily motion, but you're not going to go. And TikTok's been the closest thing to actual competition to YouTube, like, yeah. ever. And Vine before that. Um, and, uh, but generally, you're not going to, like, you know, with the exception of TikTok, like, you're not, if you're not going to go viral by putting a video on fucking daily motion. Like, it's just not going to happen. Oh, yeah. So, um, because Google, you know, Google owns it and Google owns the world. Google and Disney own the world and some, a couple <laughs> other ones. Yep. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, but if you lead with good intentions, like, you know, Blender's just like, we just want to have, give artists access to the art. It's not about the money. Then, you know, but people are like, well, you know, you lead with love, baby. And um, when you lead with love, then um, people are like, you know, like, even Tommy said this on the last podcast. Like, I gave them $30, not because I had to, because I wanted to, because they developed this great program for me for free, you know, yep. you know, like, and fuck Maya. And I'm just like, yeah, fuck them. So it's just a matter of some bold studio saying like, hey, yo, we're, we're kind of tired of like, and DaVinci Resolve is on the rise too, as far as um, editing Adobe stuff. And, oh, uh-huh. you know, um, the, the biggest, for those who are listening with like, there's the Adobe suite, which is like editing stuff. And then the pinnacle of Adobe suite is called Avid, which is basically like, it's like Adobe, except multiple editors can be working on the same project at the same time and just everything sync together. So when you're working on a multi-editor project on a big studio thing, then that's the most optimum use of like the time that you have. So everyone can be kind of collaborating in real time on the same thing. 
So, and then there's like a tracker, I don't know if you know the tracker thing, but there's another one that's better for like 3D and tracking shots, um, something, tracker coder, something, it's not tracker. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Do you know, anyway, um, so there's, I, I'm afraid I don't. Yeah, there's, there's one out there, but um, that's generally how it works, but DaVinci Resolve, I think, is, is solidifying, which is also an open source, like, there's a, you, there, you get extra things if you pay for it, but you can also just use it for free, so, you know, DaVinci Resolve is fine-tuning their their big production thingy about their big production machine and um yeah so um they're they're fine-tuning that and you know it's it's i think it's going to give adobe a run for its money rightfully so because like the the fact that you have to pay for subscription renewal is just like gross you know and then especially like the situation you described where you have all these art students using it as a student license and then if they have to work indie, then they just don't have access to the thing they spent three years learning. It's it fucking sucks, you know. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, but yeah, like I guess for as far as my technical understanding, it seems like you know making puppets in any kind of three D atmosphere is basically about negative space, and it's basically like sculpting in a three D environment. Is that kind of is that correct? Oh, in terms of like making the model yes. models. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's basically like, there's, there's two ways to really go about modeling in 3D. One is box modeling, which is basically using your mouse and keyboard, uh, to take a basic primitive, like a cube and turn it into whatever you're, you're going for. Yeah. You basically, you, you move points around, you extract, uh, push, pull all around this model um, until you get the shape that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's This method is usually best for inor- inorganic objects like uh, trees. Well, no, not trees. That's organic. But like as in non-character type shapes. Yeah. Like um, like you can use it. F- uh, a lot of people use it for trees and, and for uh, furniture, houses, vehicles, that kind of thing. Yeah, like um, landscape I imagine too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it can also be used for characters. Uh, it's just that it can be a bit tougher. It's like, it's just a different type of, of skill set in terms of, of modeling. Uh, my preferred method for characters is starting with a sculpt. Uh, now sculpting in 3D, um, is pretty much just like sculpting with clay in real life, except you have Command Z yeah. you can crash. <laughs> you want to define Command Z or should I? <laughs> Oh yeah, Command C just is a, a command you can do on your keyboard, uh, pressing or, or Control Z on on Windows, uh, that uh, undoes whatever you just did in your program. Yeah, I and just it's super I mean, helpful. I got into digital art like way later than I should have, with because I didn't know that you could just get an iPad and just do it on. Like I knew all these fourteen year olds had access to something, but I because because I was basically trained traditionally for most of my artistic life, um, and then um, I like I. You know, now I'm pretty pretty um, comfortable with with do- drawing digitally, and um, sometimes when I'm drawing to traditionally, which um, you know is what you do when you're at conventions because people want to keep the traditional art. It's and that's also kind of the only time you're drawing traditionally, unless you're just like just doing it for for lols or doing it because you're bored or something like that. Um, but I've caught myself like several. I don't know if you 
do you use procreate uh anya i do yes okay yes. i don't know if, if you've done this before but have you ever caught yourself trying to control z like on your on your traditional work and you're just like oh wait no i can't do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because like in, in procreate you have you can like tap the the back arrow uh, to undo it, but some and sometimes when I'm sketching in in real life, I'll, uh, most of the time actually when I, when I'm sketching like on a sketchbook, I'll I'll accidentally try to zoom in by pinching my fingers out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's the most common thing for me is is catching myself doing that. <laughs> oh my god, I, I I relate on a spiritual level. Um, okay, um, well, I think we're, we're, we're near the end. Are there any other tips or tricks, like, you'd like to share with the class about anything? Like, it doesn't just have to be about 3D, but just general anything. You oh, yeah. Uh, as, as com- for when it comes to modeling for games versus TV and movies, uh, games usually will need a lower poly count. Poly count means... Uh, the number of faces on the object, like the number. Of, I'm sure uh, many of you have seen a behind-the-scenes looks at games or shows when you see the wireframe of a character model, where there's basically a ton of lines all over it. Um, those lines each represent um, a face that is making up the character, and and the more faces there are on the character the higher the poly count is. The higher the poly count, the harder it is for the computer to render it. Mm-hmm. Render it. So if you're making a game which is real-time rendering, which means the computer is rendering it as you are playing it, that is much harder to do with higher poly count. It just makes the computer have to do more calculations. Uh, with animation for TV and movies, however, because the computer renders it slowly, one frame at a time, before making it into a um, video file, um, you don't have to worry about poly count nearly as much. So, if it, depending on what you're modeling for, you're going to have to worry about poly count or not. And that is stuff you, you'll have to look up more on your own because <laughs> it's too complicated to get into without uh, pictures. Um, and I guess uh, as a last little topic uh, in terms of um like marketing i guess that cuz that's kind of like the final step when talking about uh game art and and stuff is don't give up never give up never surrender <laughs> keep uh keep pushing at it uh get your indie game out there try to find any resources you can uh, lord knows that's what i'm doing too right now uh <laughs> trying to uh uh Find there there are uh, resources like the different uh, directs like you know uh, Nintendo uh, which is a game company they do this thing called the Nintendo Direct and that is a little presentation where they show the upcoming games on their platform um, but there are also indie game directs that some people do uh, one of them is I believe the Wholesome Game Direct and they specifically do indie games that are wholesome or cute in nature so. Uh, and I believe there are also other kinds of indie game directs as well that have been going on. Uh, so I recommend anybody uh, to want to get wants to get their indie game out there, feel free to, to look at that. I also recommend uh, looking into the Steam Next Fest. That is a um, Steam uh, Valve uh, kind of a fest event where you submit a demo for a game you've been working on uh, on the Steam store and then they'll have that featured as part of their next fest to show what games are coming up and there's a lot of indie games that that can be part of that 
Um, I would recommend if you're going to do a Kickstarter, really research into it. Uh, again, Lord knows I had to. Uh, I'm going to again because uh, there's another. I'm working on another Kickstarter that will hopefully be the banger this time. <laughs> Knock on wood. Um. Yeah, yeah. So look at really, really research into that. Look into su- Kickstarters that were successful and look into ones that failed and try to figure out why. Uh, and that's kind of the advice that I have. <laughs> Guess I'll die. But um, I'll just end to. Uh, I don't. This is just something I noticed that that I didn't really have time for, but. I don't know if you realize it too, because it just seemed like you were just too busy. But um, I was, I was at uh, what was it, Delta H this year, and I saw you, and I just didn't have time to say anything. Oh, I think I did see you too, and I also <laughs> <laughs> was like, oh what? Was, oh, she's there, cool. I like, <laughs> didn't have time. Yeah, that was like last year, right? <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, like that was. I think that was last year. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. I think too. I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> We just didn't get the chance to really say hi. That's unfortunate. Uh, it 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 happens for sure. But all right, um, I guess the I guess we can we'll, we will end the the, the, the thing. So um, uh, if you hi people who listen to the podcast, uh, thanks for getting this far. Uh, we have a lot of podcasts about podcasty things. So if you like animation or art or my my comedy TM, then feel free to listen to some more. Um, I think again this is episode eighty. Something. So we have a good like backlog of podcasts if you want to learn just about anything. Um, but we can't like visually show you because it's, it's a podcast. I mean, we have we could probably do a YouTube version of it like sometime, but like you know, um, we just haven't done that. Like I could anyway. I'm getting off track. So um, Anya, where can people <laughs> find your socials? They, you can find me on um, Ink Rose ninety eight on Twitter and Instagram, and my website is inkroseinc.com I uh it's spelled I N (laughs) yeah it's spelled I N (laughs) yeah it's a little pun but it also is a little confusing because they're like which version of ink so (laughs) it's um I N K R O S E I N C dot com. Yeah, maybe if you made it like possessive, if you made it like Ink Roses Ink, you know, maybe that. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. That way they know the ink you're talking about. And the only other thing I think yeah. about is like, um, I'm, maybe it was a coincidence, maybe it was not. But remember, like in season like seven or eight, there was like the Inky Rose character that showed up, and I'm just like, I don't know, guys. I know it's that. a little bit too on the nose for for it to be a coincidence, yo. Yeah, and and the fact that they had to call her Inky Rose instead of Ink Rose makes me wonder if they had looked up Ink Rose and uh, previously and were like, oh, we can't use that one because I had already had it like uh, copyrighted, I think, at that point or or like trademarked. And <laughs> yeah, I think too, it so, might have been a thing where they just like it, she was named Ink Rose, and then they realized in, like near the end they're just like, oh shit, that's copyrighted. We got to change it slightly yeah. so we don't get sued by this this person in Texas. <laughs> So, you know, <laughs> this person who has uh, no money. Well, that's how you get money, girl. You sue. That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. If only they'd named her Incro. Yeah, if only. I mean, that happened too with uh, like the Coco Pinnell thing because I, yeah, oh. I think it was that was copyrighted and they had to like change it to Miss Pinnell from now on. I'm just like, uh, I get it. But like, uh, and like, I would like to think that they were inspired by my name, <laughs> but you never know. Yeah, that's, a, that's an insider, like baseball kind of question that maybe you can ask the right person about. Um, 
Oh, and then yeah. the only other one off the top of my head uh, is they for a secret of for Don Booth's secret of Nim they had to change Mrs. Frisbee to Mrs. Brigsby Brisby because of um, you know Frisbee being a thing that was copyrighted. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but that's that's your fun fact for making it all the way to the podcast. Thanks, thanks everyone. Um, and then, so in case you don't know me, then I'm, Ra- I'm I love Kim Possible a lot and Rachel sometimes. Um, so main channel, we're gonna start releasing content relatively regularly soon. So, and good content. We're working hard to make sure it's very tight. So, um, you know, keep an eye on that. We just released a like that. We're not gonna make it the normal content, but we le- released a fun video of me reacting to to cringe Kim Possible fan art blindly. So um, hopefully that's entertaining to people, I guess. God knows it took forever because there was a lot of production issues with people kind of coming and going, which is the nature of nonprofit. But it's still like emotionally training to be like, well, I guess we got to give it to someone else. Uh, I guess we got to figure this out. So as I'm sure, Anya, you know the, the hustle as far as that. But yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming, Anya. Hopefully your knowledge helped the children or the children heart or whoever's listening. And um you know, uh, hopefully, you know, if you're new to the podcast, you stick around and obviously please support the main channel and support all the guests and support all the things, you know, I'm not even asking for money right now. Just, just, just like comments, like that's, it's free. You just press a button. I, I see, I see you out there, Karen, you know, if you, if you, if you know how to YouTube, you know how to subscribe. So, um, and thank you so much for having me on the oh, podcast, yeah. by the way. Coming. I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out. Um, I wasn't, I kind of wasn't sure like, cause, um, um, uh, the 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 girl lady who um, she was just like oh I asked I asked this person I think they'd be a good fit I'm just like oh yeah that's a good fit. I haven't <laughs> talked to her in a hot minute but yeah sure let's yeah go. yeah that sounds fine so it's nice to touch yeah, base yeah you know? like oh yeah we still we, we still exist we're we're not just like you know back in the before <laughs> times um, and uh-huh. then I I, well, I also want to explain the the ink roses of witch joke so um, for the for oh the yeah class. so uh, for when ink talked about how um she got like she got viral from that one video where like correct me if i'm wrong it was kind of it was just a it was a it was like you you narrating like a slideshow right yeah basically um and and i think one of the reasons it got so popular is uh, uh, because like it ended up like a lot of kids watched it like and and it ended up getting in, in like a lot of kids like recommended uh because they would like look up like pony backstories and stuff especially i think that's what happened also with like the applejack video i made and like the the discord backstory Mm -hmm. like they would just like look up that stuff because they were curious about it and then my videos would pop up as like the first thing so that i think that ended up being why they 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 got so viral yeah the the, the kiddos don't don't realize that you know just someone on the internet you know like (laughs) you know that kind of thing so yeah i that that makes a lot of sense but like um so back in the day uh we'd make fun of ink rose because like like the show would basically mm-hmm. the, the the My Little Pony show itself wouldn't get that many views on sometimes. Like I think it averaged like maybe a million views per. Like um, I mean, granted, I, um, your videos were lifetime views, and like I think the Pony show yeah, yeah. were just premiere numbers only. Um, but people were just like, "What? How is she doing it? She's a witch. She must be a witch." So it was, <laughs> you know. So I think it was in what was it? I know it was in um, Serpent's Tale, and then I know it was in. What was the other one? Um, the the Anthony's yeah. thing where he's he's, mm-hmm. um, he's tall tales or whatever the fuck he has. Yeah. yeah. So there was like a whole a whole bit of me getting like about to be burned as a witch or something. <laughs> <laughs>
Ah, good times. <laughs> uh, you know, it was last from the past, so I hope you feel you got your nostalgia filled. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, go check out some new content. Go get your homework done, fams, and um, hope to see you next time in the space of the time or in the past or in the future, wherever you're listening to KP, because it's recorded, so I can be, I could technically be dead right now. You wouldn't know, so <laughs> hopefully I won't be, but you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, have fun, okay, everyone. Have a, good, have a good evening, night, day, whatever. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting provider. We are really hoping the show makes a difference in how people view animation, as well as media as a whole, as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like and want to join the animation and media industry. If you like what you heard, please remember to show support by giving a like, a follow, rating those five stars, as well as subscribing to our main I Love Kim Possible A Lot channel on YouTube, and turn your notifications on. New episodes of Animation Communication come out every Wednesday at 6am EST on podcasting platforms and 4pm EST on YouTube. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the KP Podcast for information on upcoming guest episodes and more, as well as our hosts KP and Lyle Convoy at I Love KP a Lot and at Lyle Manbad on social media. I'm Lucy and thank you for being a part of our community. See you next time on Animation Communication.